Well, friends, let me add my welcome. Uh, for those of you that may not know me, my name's Mal York. I'm the new senior minister here, and it's wonderful to be looking at our 2 Timothy with you as we continue on in our series. So far in our 2 Timothy, we've seen that the Apostle Paul has been writing to Timothy, his true son in the faith. Uh, Timothy has been given the task of aligning the church that he's running in Ephesus to the teachings that Paul has given him, both uh, uh, teachings, that are, he's been, teachings that have been given in the past but also teachings that are found in this letter. Paul has written to Timothy uh, by saying a church with the right foundations is one that focuses on prayer, proclamation and suffering. Paul says that a church that is built on the right foundations is one that is more concerned with the truth of the gospel than what the world is teaching around them. And so with this in mind, Paul says to Timothy, he should faithfully pass on the gospel to the next generation. This intergenerational ministry should be the bread and butter of church life. But in order to do this, Timothy needs to be a minister who rightly handles the word of truth to make sure that his doctrine and his theology match his actions and his words. And this has been a challenge for Timothy. But this challenge for Timothy is not just for him, but has been passed down through the generations and continues to be a challenge for me and for you today. Previously, Paul has alluded in his letter to how a Christian is like a good soldier serving as a commanding officer. But how does a soldier prepare themselves for battle? Have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Anyone seen that? Yep, just a few, not many. I'm surprised. Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. There's a great scene where Forrest and his friend Bubba are preparing to go to the Vietnam War. To do so, they need to disassemble and assemble their weapons. They need to get to know their weapons inside out. And so they do drill after drill after drill in order to know their guns. Now, Forrest is excellent at this, okay? He does it really quickly, and he wins the praises of his commanding officer. In fact, he's told he's the best sergeant and that one day he'll go on to run the army himself. While Bubba, best friend, what does he do? He recites shrimp recipes that his mum told him. Not so helpful for battle, I would say. But why do they do this with their guns? Well, it's important, isn't it? Because their weapon is their best line of attack, but also their best line of defense. And if it's not working properly in the field, then they can't use it to attack or defend themselves. So they need to know how to get it working as quick as possible. Otherwise, they're open to the attack of the enemy. And so in order to do this, they get to know their weapon inside and out. Now, for Timothy in Ephesus, the church has been infiltrated by false teachers. And so in this passage, Paul gives Timothy some advice on how he can fight against the false teaching that have infiltrated the church. And it all has to do with knowing God's word inside and out. But before we get to the passage, let me pray that God will help us to understand his word this afternoon. Let me pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and look at your word. We pray that you'll speak to us by your spirit. Help us to understand the real threat that is out there that false teaching brings. And so help us to know our best weapon that we have against this. We pray this for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that Paul urges uh, Timothy to do is to know who he's fighting against. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 5. He says, But mark this, there there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, 
without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Paul says to Timothy that in the last days there will be terrible times. The last days that Paul is referring to are the days between the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the day when Jesus returns. In between, these are the last days. You and I are living in the last days. In fact, there's been almost 2,000 years of the last days so far. We're not sure how many there are to come. And so Paul says in these last days, there will be terrible times. And he expands on this. See there in verse 2. He says that there will be people who are lovers of money, lovers of themselves, boastful and proud. Now, Paul's not just saying that there will be people like this in the first century when he's living, but he's saying in the last days, this will be characteristic of all the times. And and we know, don't we, that people are like this today. One of the reasons the global financial crisis happened only a few years ago is because we live in a world where people are greedy for money. Selfishness is ripe in our world, isn't it? We're taught to love ourselves more than love the other person. We're number one and we need to make sure that we're comfortable. We need to make sure that we're being looked after before we tend to anyone else. Paul continues on in verse 2 to say that people are abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. And we see this throughout our society, don't we? I'm constantly amazed at how abusive language is in the society around I've seen children swearing at their parents, parents returning the favour by swearing at their children, encouraging the behaviour. And more and more children are being disobedient to their parents because they're not satisfied with what they have. Why? Because they're looking to their parents who are models. They're models and their parents are selfish and so the kids are becoming selfish. The parents want more and the kids want more. Paul continues on in verse 3. He says, People are without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is this not like the world around us? Are you like me and you look at these words and you think, my gosh, Paul, are you some sort of prophet? But Paul was talking about his own age as well. People were living like this then, but it's the characteristic, isn't it, of the last days. And so it's similar to our age And so because of this, Paul says, Timothy, listen to this advice. I mean, we just need to look around the world to see that Paul's assessment of this is true. There are people who love themselves, who boast, who are ungrateful. And I could go on picking on an example of everyone here and say, look, this is what's reflected in the world outside. But if I did that, I wouldn't be doing justice to the passage, would I? Because Paul's not just saying that people outside the church are like this. Sure they are, but as Stu said last week, those who, they are simply those who do not know the truth of the gospel. They, they need to hear in order to be saved. But actually Paul is addressing those within the church. Paul is warning Timothy that there are some who are in the church who are like this. Look with me at verse 5. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. People who are part of the church are driven by the love of power, the love of money, and the love of themselves. Yet they say they're Christians. They claim that they're acting with godly motives, but actually they're denying the real power of the gospel. 
They use words like the Bible or, or Christian sounding words, but they see the power in their manipulation in order to achieve what is really on their heart because they're lovers of themselves, they're lovers of money. And so we need to look at the motivation behind what people are, in doing, are doing in order to see their real identity. And we need to see their fruit. Friends, without the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being central to what the church does and to who we are, then we're simply empty shells, having a form of godliness, but denying where the true power is. Where does the power of God lie? Well, Paul says that the power of God is in the gospel. In Romans 1.8, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. A church that thinks that uh, uh, power is found in the love of themselves or the love of money or or, or that somehow the gospel is simply a self-help or an ego stroke or or some sort of social club, a, a, a means to financial gain. They've not understood the gospel. They've not understood where the true power is. Rather, a church that proclaims the gospel and focuses on people's lives being changed from moving out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light This is where the power of the gospel lies, isn't it? But the question becomes for us, is this where we're putting our hope? Is this what is driving us here at church? We're in real danger, aren't we? We need to make sure that we are aware of the dangers, the trappings of money, of power, of religiosity and of the influence of the world around us that can lead us living lives that reflect that rather than reflecting the gospel. Rather, as Timothy has been taught, we need to be concerned with sound doctrine, with the truth of the gospel, to ensure that we align our lives with that of God's word. But in order to do this, Paul says we need to know the goodies from the baddies. That's my second point for today. Paul says to Timothy, make sure you know the goodies from the baddies. Uh, Have a look with me at verses 6 to 9. It says there, They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janos and Jambres oppose Moses. So also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You see, Paul goes into a greater detail here as to what a person looks like who has the form of godliness but denies its power. What do they do? They prey on the weak. Uh, The classic example is those that Paul gives, those who weasel their way into the homes of vulnerable men and women, Uh, those who may have lost their spouses, those who may be feeling guilty about the way that they've lived their lives. And so these evil people come into their homes under the illusion that they're being godly or trying to help with the spiritual growth of the person. But in reality, their hearts are evil and their intent is on pleasing themselves. Now, initially, comes to my mind, uh, people like TV evangelists that are beamed into homes in this way. Uh, But I've even mentioned in the past that my own grandfather was fleeced of over 200,000 out of someone that he sat next to in a pew in the church that he attended. Friends, we need to be wary of people who prey on weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, on those who have been widowed or divorced or the like. They can come across as being like a regular Christian, but by their actions and their motivation, they show themselves to be fools and evil. 
Paul uses an illustration of Janus and Jambres when they opposed Moses. Now, according to extra biblical sources, extra Jewish sources, Janus and Jambres were the names of the magicians that opposed Moses in Pharaoh's court back in Exodus 7. Uh, Nevertheless, they were able to reproduce the same as what Moses produced. Moses did some miracles to prove that he was from God, and Janus and Jambres were able to do the same things, yet they had no faith in God. They were far from being saved. And so what Paul is saying here is just like Janus and Jambres could make it look like they were doing things from God, yet at the end of the day they were not, so do these people in the church who are deceiving and doing evil things. They might look like Christians, but this is not where their heart is. We saw this last week, didn't we, with Hymenaeus and Philetus, who claimed that the resurrection had already taken place. They were teaching that you could have the benefits of the resurrected life here and now, and that sin wasn't an issue. You could do whatever you like. In fact, Stu Holman was telling me that uh, during the week that there are two independent churches down on the northern beaches who teach that very thing today. Plus, my brother-in-law's church in New Zealand, in Wellington, had a cult infiltrate their church in order, under the guise that they were Christians, but in order to take them away and get them to join their cult. Friends, we need to hear these things are happening in the church today. We need to be wary. We need to be prepared. And so Paul warns Timothy in verse 9, look at their fruit. Look at the way that they're living. Are they trying to help people grow as Christians? Are they looking to see people one for Christ and move for the kingdom of darkness into that kingdom of light? Now, when this is compared to someone who is living the gospel, uh, 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 a gospel life, uh, Paul says the folly of their ways will be obvious. But the question becomes, what does it mean to live that gospel-based life? Well, have a look with me at verses 10 to 13. It goes on to say, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, uh, and Lystra, and the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul reminds Timothy of the way that he's been living as a model for Timothy to follow. The first aspect is that Paul lives a public life that can be called to account. Paul highlights this to Timothy, how Timothy knows Paul's teaching. He knows the way that he's lived. He knows that his teaching has reflected the way that he's lived. And Paul reminds Timothy of the fruits of this characteristic, of his faith, of his patience, of his love and his endurance. Christian virtues which are outwardly visible based upon what we find in the teachings of scriptures, the teachings of Jesus. You see, the best way for us to live is not to be like the false teachers, but to base our lives upon what the Bible teaches and to not let any other teaching seep into what we believe. But notice that Paul goes on to also speak about persecutions and suffering. You see, friends, if we live a godly life, if we correctly handle the word of truth, it will eventually bring us into opposition with those who are teaching a false gospel and with those who follow the ways of this world. Uh, it happened for Paul. He, he, he highlights examples where, it, where, where Timothy remembers what happened to him. And so Paul draws the natural line in verse 12, that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, it's important that we understand this. If we live a godly life, it will eventually bring us into opposition with those 
who are teaching or living based on a false gospel or who are more influenced by the world around them and trying to see this seep into the church. But friends, the way that you can tell a true believer from a false believer is how they respond under suffering and persecution. Those who are evil looking to benefit from others, Paul says, will go on deceiving and being deceived. But those who want to stand for Christ, those who live that gospel life, will face persecution. Paul says the true believer will persevere despite what is happening around them. They will shape their lives on the gospel as they trust in Jesus and move forward in the faith. And so I think this passage causes us to pause and ask, how can you and I, how can we live the gospel-based life? How can we heed Paul's advice to Timothy? Well, this is my final point for today. Know your best weapon for the battle. Have a look at verses 14 to 17. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says two things to Timothy. First, continue in what you have learned from infancy. Continue in what you've become convinced of and remember the examples from those that you learned it from. Can you remember who first taught you about the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Do do you remember when you first heard the news about the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and victory over sins and that by believing in him you can have eternal life? Can you remember who first taught you? Do you remember how you felt when you first heard these words? For me, it was for my parents. Uh, I can remember them telling me the gospel, but not only telling me the gospel, living it out uh, in their lives. Uh, Then there were friends at church, youth leaders, uh, co-church workers. My examples go on and on. What about you? Do you live every day with that same conviction that you had when you first heard? Friends, it's my desire and my prayer that we get back to that first love, the passion and conviction that we had when we first heard the gospel, how it saves and how it gives lives to other, uh, to other people. And then we need to be that good model to those younger than us, in the generations younger than us, so they too can see what it means to live the gospel life. Secondly, Paul goes on to remind Timothy to make sure that he continues to know the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make him wise for salvation. Now, to know here is not just a head knowledge. It doesn't mean, yep, I know where the Bible is. It's on the shelf. It's over there, and I'll read it someday. It means get to know the Scriptures, have, a, have an intimate relationship with the Scriptures like you would a close friend or a family member. Uh, like Forrest Gump knows how to put his rifle back together. Know God's Word so that the words of this book then inform us, and they inform our words and our minds and our actions and our thoughts and our whole being. We need to get to know God's Word. What I find interesting is how those who work in the anti-counterfeit departments know what a true note looks like. Rather than studying all the false notes and thinking, yeah, I know what a false note is, they study the true note because when they get to know and love the true note, even how it feels, they can spot a false uh, note. In fact, after the 8 o'clock sermon uh, this morning, someone came up to me and said, that happened to me. I worked as a teller at the bank and I just knew what the money was like and as I went through, I went through this stack of cash and I found three notes that were false notes simply by the feel of it. Paul says to Timothy, know the scriptures. 
Know them so well that when a false teacher comes along, you can know that what they're not teaching is not in line with God's word. Because only the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. How are they, do they do that? Well, well all scripture is God-breathed. They come from God himself. They're used for, for all areas of life and church, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Now, some of these words are directly related at false teachers, aren't they? For rebuking the false teacher, for correcting what they're saying, and to help them to live the righteous way so that every person can be equipped for every good work. Friends, God has given us everything that we need in this book. And we should go nowhere else. And it's by knowing God's word that we can fight against this false teaching that can infiltrate the church. It's by knowing God's word that we can flee from the teaching of false teachers. It's by knowing God's word that we can be equipped for every good work, to persevere when suffering comes along, and most importantly, to be wise for salvation. But it begs the questions, friend, the question, are you prepared? Are we spending enough time getting to know God's word so that we know it, so that we love it as, as the words of, of our Lord and King, so that we understand it? Friends, let me encourage you to get involved in Bible studies if you're not, to, to find someone to read the Bible one-to-one with, uh, to become so conversant in God's word with each other that it informs our actions, our decisions, and our lives. And friends, as I've said, we need to model this so that our children and our grandchildren understand the motivation that we have for living our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, will you join with me in this vital gospel ministry? Friends, we need to be, continue to be a church that upholds the Bible as God's word and that most important weapon in this life to continue to fight as soldiers of Christ against the false teaching and against those things that Paul's identified as markers of the last days. We need to flee, don't we? other motivations, ensuring that we live a life that reflects first and foremost the gospel priorities that we have and not worldly priorities that are around us. And friends, we need to help each other by using God's word to teach, to rebuke, to correct and to train us in righteousness so that we can be fully equipped as people of God. Friends, will you join with me in this vital gospel ministry? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it gives us all that we need to know to be wise for salvation and to stand against, therefore, the false teaching that may infiltrate the church. Help us, Heavenly Father, to stand firm, to know your word and to know it so well that we are equipped to stand for your sake and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have some time for questions now. If you'd like to ask a question of Mel, you can text it through to the phone and I'll read it out for you. The first question for you tonight um, is, what are um, some specific risks of error? Um, What are some of the false teachings in St Andrews or in our church currently today, broadly? (laughs) Broadly. How long do we have? (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I think one of the points that I wanted to make from tonight is I don't want to focus on trying to name and shame. I want to focus on the true gospel. When we know the true gospel, it will become evident, those blind spots that we need to fix. So I want to say let's focus on the true gospel. Let's continue to remind each other. Let's continue to get to know that. And then you guys can tell me what they are because you will see them and they'll be plain to see. Hmm. Um, Without the Holy Spirit illuminating and 
convincing us of the truth. Um, God's work doesn't transform us. So how can we ensure that the Holy Spirit is active as we read the scriptures? Yeah, great question. And uh, the answer is prayer, isn't it? We need to be praying, uh, not just by ourselves, but with each other as we struggle together to get to know God's word. So um, uh, you're going to hear me talk a lot about uh, reading the Bible one-to-one with people. I think it is really key. And that involves praying together, involves reading God's word together and talking about God's word and, uh, and then praying at the end uh, and praying specifically that God's spirit will help us to understand as we meet together his word.